this week's Adam Schefter podcast as we head into week five of the NFL season. We've got a trio of guests to get you ready for it. We'll start with the Rams Pro Bowl defensive tackle Aaron Donald, a four-time Pro Bowl selection and the 2017 Defensive Player of the Year. And then we'll be joined by Pat McAfee, the former Colts punter who now hosts the Pat McAfee Show 2.0, which is one of the top sports podcasts on the internet. And we'll finish that off with ESPN NFL researcher Evan Kaplan with some fascinating numbers and insights on this weekend's matchups. But first, the great Aaron Donald. Aaron. How you doing? Hey, you ever have a better month than the last month where you sign a contract for the money that you do, where you get into camp, where your team starts 4-0, where you're rolling along, where you're the toast of L.A. other than LeBron? Ever had a better month in your life? It's going great right so far. We just got to keep it up. You know, we're definitely on the right track, everything, but, you know, going how it's supposed to go. So we just got to keep working. Did you have any idea the season would start like this? Um, you never know. You know, definitely not being there. You know, but you know, I know the talent we had, the talent they brought in, the coaches we got. You know, with with this team, so um, I knew we were going to get better than what we did last year. But we still got room for improvement. So we're going to just keep getting better, keep working, and um, you know, keep trying to stack them wins up. What's it like practicing against this offense on a daily basis, Aaron? You know, it's good. Definitely when you get to, just to sit back and watch them guys work. You know, um, Coach McVay pride himself on perfection with them guys. You know, any little mistake, you know, he'll, he'll start the whole thing over with them. You know, and that's what you want to see when you got a coach like that, that, you know, it's the little things, you know, he want right and, and, and he's not going to satisfy with just being okay or, or being good. You know, he's got the mindset to be great. So, But you've been there with the Rams when it has not been so good. And now it is the other way around completely. When you've watched the offense in practice, what stands out to you about that particular unit or some of those players? Just the way they work. You know, when, when Gurley getting the ball, you know, handoff, he's taking it all the way to the end zone. You know, um, golf is, you know, making all the right throws at practice. And then Sean come game time, you know, coach is putting all the, all the guys in great position to make plays. And, and then Sean come Sunday. So, um you know, like I said, just just working, you know, working at the little things, making sure everything is, you know, clicking how it's supposed to click. And, and and if it's one little mistake, make sure that that little mistake get corrected now so come game time, you know, it's no hesitation. It's just all go. You know, you're playing with Indomitian and Sue right now, Michael Brocker, some great defensive linemen. Your team had a plan, actually, made some inquiries that it could conceivably trade for Khalil Mack. Now, there were better offers out there. Can you imagine what your defense would have been like if Khalil Mack had joined your front line, <laughs> it would have been. Anytime you add more talent, it's gonna be better. But you know, we definitely got a, a great group. You know, um, we're gonna continue to get better. The more we play with each other, um, you see it. We're clicking a lot more, understanding how each other play, and um, you know, communicating well. We just got to keep it up, man, and keep trying to find ways to, you know, as a defensive front, you know, clean things up, get to the quarterback a step faster, to, to trying to get him to the ground and help them guys on the back end. But I feel like um, it's been improvement each week. We just got to keep going. What has impressed you most about the defense you play on, Aaron? Um, just how everybody works. You know, everybody got a, a great work ethic. Everybody's clicking. Everybody get along well. You know, you got a bunch of dogs, you know, a bunch of alpha males on this defense. So um, anytime you got that, you know, okay. with, you know everybody got the same mindset that they want to win. You know, it, it just everything is going how it's supposed to go right now. What's it like in the huddle with all those alpha males? 
it's good. I know, I know a lot of people thought it was going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on, but, you know, everybody click good. Everybody communicate well. You know, it's, it's no no problem in the, in the locker room. No problem come game, game time. Everybody, you know, communicate well. Everybody's getting along. And if, it's, if, it's, if something needs fixed, um, we communicate with that and, and get it fixed. So, What is it like to play defensive line or defense in the league today where they want you to be very delicate and careful with the quarterbacks you're sacking? <laughs> It's tough. I'll be lying to you if I said it wasn't. You know, you got to definitely be careful. You know, um, being a defensive player, definitely getting them sets. You know, it's, you, you you fall on top of a quarterback now, and you get a flag, and it can hurt your team. So, um, you know, you just just got to try to, I guess, you know, make plays, and and it's hard. Definitely, when you're going 100 miles per hour, you're trying to think the, the roll sideways instead of falling on top of a quarterback and. You know, they try. They feel like they try to slow us down, but we just got to try to find a way to just keep going. What have your coaches said to you about that? Because when the NFL this past weekend put out some videos of how to sack the quarterback, they put out highlights of you. So you are the model <laughs> student right now that they want everybody to see. You're doing it the right way. You're not throwing your weight down on these opposing quarterbacks like Russell Wilson or Josh Rosen or whoever it may be. You're doing it the right way. What have they taught you about how to sack a quarterback out there in L.A.? Um, it's just more. They just, you know, they, we talk about it and, and, and letting each other know we got to be careful about that because, you know, um, you get a flag, and, and when you get a flag and you get a big play, it can hurt your team. So, um, it's just more how how the sack happened. It just, you know, happened for me to come in clean with a clean rush with an inside move and um, get him. He was falling sideways, and I happened to fall fall sideways, and not on top of him. Thank God for that. You know, same thing with Sue with his sack and. Um, you know, the second sack just got the opportunity to get another clean rush, um, got him on his blind side and was able to throw him down. So um, just got to keep trying to work little things, fundamental things, and, um, you know, trying to avoid a flag. Aaron, be honest with me here. Which quarterback would you most like to sack if you had the chance? Who's the guy that gives you the greatest satisfaction? All quarterbacks, man. I want to <laughs> every time I line up against any quarterback, I want to, I want every quarterback down. You know, that's my job to get him down, you know, the, as many times I can, you know, disrupt the play or do something that, you know, cause a quarterback to be uncomfortable, cause a running back to, you know, stutter his feet, slow him down a step. You know, I'm doing my job. If I can do my job, you know, I can help this team to win games. So. Oh, yeah, let me put it a different way. Who's the toughest quarterback to sack? Uh, there's a lot of tough quarterbacks, but, um, you know, I would say Russell Wilson. You know, that guy is definitely a handful. You know, that guy will run 20 yards backwards. Ten yards forward and throw a fifty-yard pass. You know, he definitely here to get you. You know, when you face him, you know, you you, you gonna um, you, he gonna make you work for it. So, um, just trying to bottle him up and slow him down. So, and you're not just giving me the Russell Wilson answer because you played the Seahawks this Sunday, right? I just I've been playing that guy fat going on five years down, and, and every time I get the opportunity to, to play against him, it's, you know, I'm I'm, I'm chasing him around. Getting him at the last minute, he's pitching the ball away. So he's definitely, you know, since I've been in the league, the toughest quarterback that, you know, facing get down to the ground as far as sack-wise. Now, Aaron, you've gone through two straight summers of contracted negotiations, and Le'Veon Bell right now hasn't reported to Pittsburgh. What advice would you give to him about him sitting out right now and how to handle his business? Um, You, you really can't. You know, say too much because you know I don't I don't know the situation with them or, or what's going on behind behind the um, closed doors. So, um, 
we all understand it's a business. Um, you know, we all we love the game of football. I know he want to be playing football right now, but you know, sometimes you gotta try to push that to the side and make sure that you know this is our job. You know, to make sure the business side of things is handled. You know, and you know he, he got he got a game plan. Pretty, pretty sure him and his agent talked and, and got something set up to the. You know, he's gonna make the best decision for him. So now you guys have not been in L.A. all that long, but what would you think it would mean to that city? If you could bring a Super Bowl title to Los Angeles, oh man, I know that means a lot. You know, um, you know that's always the ultimate goal for us. You know, is to be world champions. And you know, you go week to week, and, and it's still early in the season. But you know, um, I know the fans will be pumped. I know you know the city will be pumped. That we'll be pumped. So um, it's a long ways to go, but that's the ultimate goal. We just got to keep working, and, and we know um, how much that will mean to just. Just not the city, but to this organization as well. So, and you mentioned that it's still early in the season, and I know that players and coaches and organizations like to take it one at a time. But for a moment, let me take out of that box if I can. On Monday night, <laughs> November nineteenth, you guys play Mexico City against the Kansas City Chiefs. What kind of matchup would you anticipate that being right now, Aaron? No, it's going to be a dogfight. You know, them guys—they got the hot hand. We got the hot hand, and um. You got a bunch of talented guys going at it together, you know, against each other. So um, it's definitely going to be a dogfight, man, and, and that's definitely a game that you, you're excited to, to see. But, you know, right now main focus is Seahawks and, and trying to get past them guys. So, Good, good answer. Good answer, Aaron. My, <laughs> la- my last thing for you before I let you go, LeBron is in Los Angeles. How many times do you expect to go watch Laker games this season and go watch the man up close? I'm definitely going to try to, you know, I've been a LeBron fan for for a long time now, you know, and he, he's in, out here now, so I'm definitely going to try to, you know, get to a couple games and, and watch him live and, and, and see one of the best to ever do it, you know, in person. So, Has he come down to the Rams practices at all? No, I I, I don't I don't know if he came during camp or not. I wasn't here, but he ain't been here since I've been here. So. Yeah, well, he's a big Cowboys fan now. You're going to have to convert him here, Aaron. It, Hey, we keep winning here, here, but to, to LA Rams, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Aaron, thanks very much for the time today. Congratulations on the contract and the start of the season and continued success for the remainder of the year. I uh, appreciate you. Thank you. We'll be back in a moment with Pat McAfee, but first I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. No matter what you do in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club is everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have amazing shower stuff, hairstyling products, toothbrushes, toothpaste, and of course, razors and shave supplies. I enjoy the amber and lavender body wash, which leaves my skin feeling great. That's how I get ready, but you're not me. You've got your own way to get ready. You might shave your whole body to get ready for a bike race. Dollar Shave Club's executive razor and shave butter can help. You might do your hair to get ready for your soccer match. Boogies by DSC can help you get your style right. The thing is, no matter what you do to get ready, DSC has everything you need. And right now, you can get ready with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets. I recommend the Daily Essential Starter Set because I love the Amber Lavender Body Cleanser, but you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash AS to pick your own DSC starter set for just $5. After your starter set, products ship at regular price. And make sure you check out their new video too. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. dollarshaveclub.com slash A-S. Pat, how you doing? 
Schefter, I'll tell you what, you are a monster. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> no, you're the monster. I'm looking to get podcasting tips from you today. I'll tell you what, I do okay in the podcasting world, but when it comes to real life, I think Adam Schefter is the champion of it. I appreciate you, man. Well, you've done an unbelievable job, and I think a lot of people have overlooked this fact, Pat, and that is the fact we've been talking all this time about the free agent that Des Bryant is, but nobody's talking about the free agent that Pat McAfee is. What's going to be next for Pat McAfee? I appreciate that. I do believe Des Bryant is the golden boy when it comes to free agents right now, but when it comes to a little bit of media and uh, the internet world, I'm have, I have a little little world that I'm living in as well, and I'm just enjoying it right now. To be honest, I have my podcast. I'm releasing a documentary that we made in-house next Wednesday, October 10th, and it's just I'm just kind of taking it as I go and enjoying every moment, and if a big network finally takes a shot on me, I'll the honored, privilege, respect the hell out of it, and keep it moving, and hopefully create some content that'll make some people laugh and smile. Wait, there's a lot there. Let's start with the documentary. What is this documentary? Okay, you, you might be able to get a little scoop here. I know, I, I know, I love good scoop. I love watching you give scoops and get scoops. Uh, I played professional baseball earlier this year for a minor league team called the Washington Wild Things outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, okay? Okay. I I have never played baseball a day in my life. As a child, my dad hated baseball. <laughs> hated it. He thought it was so boring, so he made me play soccer. Makes no sense to this day. He thought baseball was more boring than soccer, but I just never played it. Now, all my friends played it. I never stepped onto the diamond. So... Earlier this year, the Washington Wild Things reached out to me. They asked me if I wanted to start for them one night. I said absolutely without really knowing what was going on. <laughs> Fast forward, I'm standing in the batter's box against a kid that was drafted by the Brewers who has a 91-mile-an-hour fastball, and I'm staring it down and starting it right field, and I'm mic'd up the entire time. My friends are doing commentary in my ear, and it just became this comedic situation watching me get thrusted into an awesome experience with zero preparation. That's like Sasha Baron Cohen or something like that, some sort of documentary like that a little bit? Uh, no, because everybody knew what was happening. And also, let's not, let's not compare, uh, compare this stupidity to the brilliant brain of Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> but I do believe that it will make some people laugh. I think it will do that. Now, a few weeks ago, you also left Barstool, and you walked away from your NFL punting career. You had two years and $6 million left on your contract. You were 29 years old. You were a two-time Pro Bowl punter. You had eight seasons under your belt. You could have been punting in the NFL still today if you wanted, but you walked away, and now you've walked away from Barstool. What went into that decision to leave that organization? So when I left the NFL... Uh, I appreciate you running off all my um, my resume there. That was very nice of you. Thank I, you, Pat. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, no problem. You got a good brain over there. Um, I when I left the NFL, I was just I wasn't enjoying coming to work anymore. I was staring down my third knee surgery in four years. I I didn't enjoy the business side of it anymore. I didn't like the GM. I think everybody knows that now. It just became something where I kind of fell out of love with the NFL the business side of the NFL, but I didn't fall in love with kicking balls. So 
I was enjoying what I was doing off the field. I was doing radio shows. I was doing stand-up comedy. I was doing a lot of philanthropy. I was getting real fulfillment from making people's lives just a little bit better at times. And I just got to the point where I wanted to go do that. So Barstool negotiated a good deal with me where I didn't have to move to New York. I got to go ahead and create my own thing with Barstool Heartland. I hired my friends, and we just tried to make the world a little bit of a happier place. And when it comes to being 700 miles away from a company you're working with, and the business is supposed to be 50-50 revenue split, that's the only money I wanted was whatever money I earned, you know, and they sold it. And the transparency just became something that got lost in the uh, commotion. And I still appreciate Barstool giving me an opportunity they were the only place I would do so, but the business side, it just got kind of muddied a little bit, and I lost trust in the business process, and now I'm just kind of doing my own thing with my own people, and we're enjoying the hell out of it, Shepard. So you didn't trust the Barstool business people anymore, basically. Yeah, because I think the internet, the internet is an incredible business if you know how to work it. I mean, uh, the sales, uh, if you know how to... Basically, if you can move product, if you have a following that is active and trusts you and can move product, businesses are very excited about that. And to get the age group that I hit and that uh, Barstool hit is very difficult for a lot of companies. So the business can be very lucrative, and a lot of deals were just being made and pulled without any of my knowledge. So I just kind of fell out of the, the trust tree with them when it came to that. It was nothing with the... Uh, Dave or Erica's of the world. It was just the business side of it. And being 700 miles away got very tough. You talk about hitting the demographics that you do, that Barstool does. How have you figured out a way how to do that, Pat? I just, honestly, I'm very, I'm just me, man. I'm, I, I, am, I am never not me. And, I, and that sounds very stupid, I assume, but it's, I just am very lucky that I am a very basic dude, and a lot of the things that I find funny or interesting, a lot of people find interesting and funny, and I just I just try to be as genuine as possible, as real as possible, and I've, I was once a bag, and I, I've learned a lot and lived a lot, and people just, uh, I, I think they are attracted to it because I'm a guy that... I've lived a pretty wild life and got to experience a lot of crazy things, but I'm a very much a basic dude that people can relate to. So I just I just try to be me, Shepard, at all times. You talk about living and learning a lot. What's the biggest thing you've learned since you left the NFL about this media world that you've done a great job creating? Well, it never stops. Yes, correct. I, it, I've been more busy now than I could ever thought that I would be. Obviously much more busy than when I was in the NFL. I didn't have to learn many playbooks. I just had to kick balls forever. But it's it's something where the Internet never stops. So when you make your living on the Internet, you have to be able to keep up with everything on the Internet. And it kind of, I don't want to say it takes over, but it, it's at all times. I've seen you have four phones going at any time. You never know when the news is going to break. It just never, ever stops, so you have to you just have to pay attention. That's the biggest thing I've learned thus far. The analogy that somebody used to me is it's sort of like, and it's the case for you, for me, and I think for anybody that does a job that's demanding, and a lot of people do. We're not any different in that regard, but the analogy that somebody uses, it's like standing in a batting cage. The pitches just keep coming, right? It never stops. They just keep coming. And you, and you never know which one's going to be a dinner. That's correct. Never you never know which one's going to be a hanging curve. 
you never know which one's going to go. You know, I've made some videos on the Internet that I thought were terrible that did well, and then I've made some videos that I thought were great that didn't do as great. So it's you never know which one's going to go, and in the Internet, you just got to keep taking your hat. That's a great analogy. It's the same thing with stories, too. Sometimes you do a lot of work into stories. You come up with something, and you think, boy, this is a big story. And it comes out, and it doesn't get any traction or buzz. And then other things you don't think are much of anything, and they do. Like, I'll give you an example. The morning, it had to be, I don't know, five years ago. I had a story that morning that I worked on all week long, that Von Miller was in cahoots with the drug testers, and they let him get by, and he was facing a year-long suspension, and he could have been banned from the league. I mean, it was a big deal to me in my own news reporting world. And I worked on that thing all week long, a couple of weeks and finally, it ran on Sunday Countdown, and it ran on a day in which I also caught footballs off a jugs machine with Tom Jackson, Chris <laughs> Carter, and Keyshawn Johnson. To this day, nobody's ever said, hey, that was a really good story on Von Miller. Really interesting how 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 warped that process can be, how crooked it can be. And yet, people do remember me falling into a water cooler backwards because the ferocity of the jugs machine knocked me backwards, and I was so unprepared athletically and physically to handle it. That's how it works, right? You just never know what's going to work and what doesn't work. couple quick things here. Great catch by you. I don't think that gets said <laughs> enough because of how embarrassing you looked afterwards. Yes. Great catch by you. Um, also, that story was a big hit in the locker room, if that means anything. The players loved that story. I specifically remember it like it was yesterday because I was in the substance of abuse program getting tested eight times a month, yeah. and I was tested by the guy in Fort Lauderdale that you were referring to, <laughs> and he he did have a conversation with me like, hey, you know, we set up agreements down here that I kind of shook off at the time because yep. I was late for a, uh, an airplane, and then when it came out, though, I was like, oh, my God, that guy would have faked my for me for two years if I would have just followed through. So you, your story hit a home run with me if it means anything. Well, I'll say that's the first kind words I've ever heard about that story. So thank you, Pat. I appreciate that very, very much. So now that you are a free agent, in a perfect world, what would you envision the ideal job for you to be? I, I don't, I have no idea. Because I love working with the WWE. I do a lot of work with the WWE as well. Every single Sunday I watch the games like I'm a kid again, sitting in the living room with my dad who was a diehard NFL. I, I think I have an interesting perspective that nobody else really has when it comes to football because I, I got a first, a, a, a front row seat to watch the greats of the game play. I mean, I kicked off a Super Bowl and really, I have the mindset of just a comedian, so my perspectives on things are much different than anybody else who would get a job. So I would enjoy calling a game. I would enjoy speaking at a desk. I just, I just think that I have a mindset and a perspective that can help grow the NFL. So in the perfect world, I would want to do some NFL conversation, maybe, maybe in a booth, a three-man booth or on the field, something like that. Uh, but I'm just kind of open to whatever and, just kind of riding the, riding the wave right now. Just see what, go with the flow and see what happens. So the Pat McAfee Show 2.0, that's not enough to sustain you and fulfill you? I mean, business-wise, it takes care of everything I need, uh, everything my family needs, my friends need. Business-wise, we're in a good spot with that. But I do believe that I can, I can really get out there and hopefully help some things. 
I hope. And if I suck, I hope people tell me and I just kind of disappear back to the Internet forever. But I would love to get my shot uh, on TV at some point, and we'll see if that happens, hopefully soon. There are a lot of people who would love to do what you're doing. What advice would you say to people who want to start their own podcast and go into the field that you are? What advice would you give them? Because I'm sure plenty of people ask you for that. So I think for me, it's always like you hear about Kevin Hart. People call him an overnight success because he started taking over the world just here recently. And But you don't see the 20 years he spent doing comedy clubs, building up an email newsletter, sending emails to everybody. You, you, you don't, I think the biggest thing is you really got to go to work. There was a while there on my Twitter where because I was a punter and kicker, I didn't have to sit through meetings. Mm -hmm. I would answer every single human that tweeted me until I got up to like a hundred thousand followers. I just, I really appreciate the people that follow me and listen to my shows. And I try to tell them as much as possible that I do. And to do that. It takes a lot of, I don't want to say work, because it's not actual work. There's people that actually work out there. But it takes a lot of time to invest in that and show that you appreciate the people that are following along. And I think that's where you get real people that are fans and listeners and stuff like that. And I'm lucky to have the greatest in the world because they listen to an idiot punter talk about his life on a daily basis, which is really cool. You talk about being an idiot punter, but would you ever have any interest in going back? If a team called and said, we want you to punt again, could they tempt you? I think with that, I've had a couple conversations with some people from teams, like in the off season. I'll get a text that's like, "Hey, you still kick balls ever or anything like that?" I'll get, I'll, I'll see. I have friends that are like very low level scouts on teams, and if their punter sucks or whatever, I'll get a text message that's like, "Hey, am I allowed to throw your name out in a meeting or not?" Like that type of stuff. There's, there's definitely some of my friends still around the league. Uh, but for me, I'm enjoying the hell out of my life right now. If a perfect situation popped up, I still think I could kick balls very well for somebody, hopefully. But I would want to be able to dedicate my entire life to that team because that's what a team deserves. And I don't know if I'm at that point right now. Maybe if this all comes crashing down at some point, no, that's I'll not be able happen. to do that. That's not going to happen. Shefty, you have no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm about 14, 15 dumb comments away from everything <laughs> crashing down. My fans are good, but they're not they're not that loyal. They know I'm an idiot. But it's um, if it all comes crashing down and I can't sell merch anymore or the podcast or anything like that, I think I'll still kick. Who knows if anybody will be give me an opportunity, but I can still hammer it a little bit. So let this be a public service announcement to any front offices that are now listening. Pat McAfee, for the right offer is interested in coming back to the NFL, but it would have to be a good offer in the right place at the right time. And if that happens, then maybe he would listen. I think I think there's a scoop from McGee from Shefty right there. <laughs> a couple of scoops from Shefty right there. Now, let me ask you a question. This past weekend, your former kicker, Adam Vinatieri, the ageless wonder, sets the NFL record for the most field goals ever made, which is incredible when you really think about it. I mean, all these kickers who have been in the league, no one has ever kicked more field goals than Adam Vinatieri, who they should put in Canton right now, as far as I'm concerned. Did you get a chance to congratulate him? What do you think of the fact that he set this record? Agreed with everything you just said about Canton. This record will never be broke, ever again. It will never be broken. Uh, and when he gets the points record, that record will never be broken either. He is hes just a different species of human. He really is. He's just a different species of human. He, and he's come at the right time, too. So 
I, the reason why I don't think any kickers will ever be able to break this is because of social media, because of all the opportunities off the field. Like, Justin Tucker is so, 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 so good. He's Amazing. incredible. But if he wanted to keep up with Vinatieri, he would have to kick for another 16 years at a high level. <laughs> and I think Justin Tucker knows that. I think everybody knows that because you kick in this league for 15 years. That's an incredible career. Now add eight more onto it. That's what Vinatieri is. I just don't think it will ever be touched. His, his competitive drive is what has kept him so high. He is just the, he's the epitome of a professional. And I was very lucky to hold his balls for a long time, Shepter. <laughs> nothing, like, uh, nothing, nothing like holding his balls, right, Pat? I think, I, I think if you were to ask him to, he'd say I was the best at it. But uh, <laughs> I had a nice soft touch, Shefty. But it was, it, it was one of those things, getting to learn from the greatest of all time. And that is just another reason why I think I have a very interesting perspective that I could possibly add to the NFL if I was ever get a gig is because hand in hand every single day of my life, I got to work with the greatest of all time at one position. And it's just something you can't learn from watching from the outside in. What separated him? He's just so competitive. If he's playing chess and you're about to win, he'll accidentally flip over the board. I mean, it's just, he wants to win and be great. It's just in his body. There's just, there's something about it. All the great ones have it, right? You look at Tiger Woods. He was the first golfer that instead of shaking people's hands when he lost and congratulating them, he would swear and be angry. He had a real competitive gene in his body. You look at Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, these guys, they're just, if you look at the tops of their, at their craft or at their sport, they're just so competitive. And Vinatieri is that same way. He's 45 right now, and he still tries to keep up with the young bucks in the weight room. He doesn't like losing in absolutely anything. So when he sees a young kicker banging balls from 55, he wants to still be able to do that. It's just this innate ability to be competitive at his old age when he should be almost sailing off into a retirement home. That really separates him from another everybody else. You bring up the great ones. You had the chance, the fortune to work with another great one in Peyton Manning. My sources tell me you've got some great Peyton Manning stories. What do we got there? I think Peyton enjoyed having me around. I was very good beer chugger. I think he was like a uh, um, a little bit of a uh, an enjoyment for him to kind of watch and listen to me chat to folks. I, I got a chance to become really good friends with Peyton. And the things about Peyton Manning, it, you hear about him being the first one and the last one out. They always say that about the quarterback because – that's what they want the quarterback to be. They invest a lot of money. They want him to be the hardest worker. They want him to go the extra mile. They want him to be a super leader. And he is everything that and then some. He, he ran the practices. He ran the weight room. If he didn't like the way something was going, he changed it. But he backed it all up with how hard he worked. He was just he was the guy. Watching him and Dallas Clark, Gary Brackett. I mean, you're talking about that first batch of people I got to work alongside. Just greats being great. Reggie Wayne, it was just. It was really awesome to have it, but Peyton did enjoy watching me slam a Bud Light faster than any human back in the day, and I got a chance to become good friends with him, and that's something else. That's leadership, right? I'm the punter. I only come on the field whenever he fails, and he still wanted to be uh, – he was very nice to me, very friendly to me when he didn't have to be. By that point, he was already a Hall of Famer. I was a young, dumb kid from WVU and took me in. I got to fly around the country a little bit on his private plane and just – meet a lot of really cool people and have fun. He was just a good guy who worked his ass off, Shefty. You take anything from them and you apply it to your podcasting media world today? I think my I no, I think I got my work ethic from my dad, right? My dad truck driver back in the day. Now he works with wood. He doesn't sleep much. He's up early. He works his 
face-off, all that stuff. But I think watching the greats and why they are great, I think just kind of nailed home the work ethic thing. Like, you don't just fall to the top of the mountain. And right now, I'm nowhere near it when it comes to the media world, but I just want to keep grinding, keep keep just making things happen, hopefully, and make people proud and end up as, as one of the greats in this media world. And it all, it all comes down to work. And I think watching the greats uh, and finding out why they're great was definitely a part of that whole process. Now, my sources also tell me that you are great at impressions. Give me an impression that's going to blow my mind right here, Pat. What do you got? Brother, hey, brother, hey, you want to quit and join Barstool? Is that a bar? What? I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. I was with Paul McCartney two days ago. I bought Ringo Starr's drum kit. It was $500,000. And people were like, are you crazy? And I was like, no, I'm not crazy. I just want to enjoy my life. Jim Irsay. Nailed it, Chef D. Nailed it. That guy is, that guy is the absolute best. Yeah, he's a great guy. I did a po- I did a podcast with him. We, we went for an hour. I got three questions in. I don't know what we talked about, but it went from Jim Morrison's grave to Ringo Starr's guitar to all sorts of things that would, were just mind-blowing, to be honest. Yeah, we had an hour-and-a-half conversation two nights before I announced my retirement in his office, and it was... It was one of the most beautiful conversations I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Huh. And um, ver- I'm very, very lucky that I can consider that guy, A, my first real boss, and B, a friend of mine. He's um, he's lived. That guy has lived. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A long, hard, fun life, right? <laughs> I think all of those things are very accurate. <laughs> now, before I let you go, Pat, and I really appreciate taking some time, as a football fan today, what are your impressions of the game since you left? It's all changing so much. It, it's changing so much. And I know that there's this PR issue with the NFL about brain trauma. And I understand that former players with the lawsuit and Dr. Will Smith, it, it all, the, the concussion movie has really changed the way things are handled with the NFL. But I'm scared that the NFL is going to lose its it's soul almost like lose what it's about. It's a gladiator sport. And I do believe that there's knee jerk reactions where rules get thrown one way too far, just so they can say that they covered their asses with something. But I think it'll find its way. I I think the NFL will figure it out. I, I do believe that it's nice to hear players say like, Hey, this is a bit too much. Uh, But for me, I think everything with the NFL right now is just knee jerk reactions to kind of hopefully solve PR issues and I think they just need to go ahead and sit at a round table get some of the geniuses that played this game and built this game together and just say hey listen if you're going to play football in the NFL there's an inherent risk this is our game it's a beautiful game it's this city versus this city in a barbaric manner where people are going to get hit but we also need to score points because fantasy football makes a lot of money I just think it needs to take a uh, a nice round table discussion to kind of get the game into the perfect spot it needs to be agreed and Pat let me say this if Whatever's next for you, you're always welcome back on this podcast in any spare time that you happen to have. Believe me. That means a lot. I mean, Schefter, you're on TV all the time. You're, you get text messages from, I don't know who your sources are, but I know they're very high up because you know stuff that happened to the team I was on before I even knew stuff. So to say that I have an open invite to chat with you, yes, that means a lot, and I thank you. Well, I'm not only inviting you back, I want you back. 
I want you back, Pat. That means a lot. Hey, who's your biggest source? My biggest source? Probably Big Cat. He blew out his back. I don't know if you got the scoop on that. He's it, in a bad spot right now. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I was aware of the fact, and he asked me to hold that for a couple of days. So, yeah, I was aware of that. <laughs> Is there any rules when it comes to that type of stuff? Somebody gives you news, and they say you can't break this till Wednesday. Does that happen, or is it like as soon as you hear something, it's going up, and people know that? No. I mean, I think every story has its own nuances and little delicate situations that you have to deal with and figure out and some things go right away and some things need massaging and some things need confirmation every single story is different it's hard to just make a blanket statement about any one story it just you know those batting cage pitches right you know some are sliders some are curves some are fastballs some are not as fast and you just react to each of the pitches that come in its own way do you ever get text messages like 3 a.m they're like hey listen this is happening and you And you have to, you have to break it. Oh, oh my God! Let me tell you something. Like, I mean, I can, I got stories about stories. You know how coaches remember every play? Yep. I, I could tell you the backstory to almost any story that I've ever reported on. And you know, some don't even have backstories, right? But some, the more elaborate ones, always have a backstory. What's so, the biggest story you've ever broke? What's the biggest story you've ever broke? I'm sorry, I've kind of flipped this, but I, this is something I don't know if I'll ever talk to you again. No, no. Well, well, well I, I was hoping that you'd reciprocate and have me on your podcast one day, Pat. Ah, uh, I would love to have the Schefter on my podcast. <laughs> we aren't as big. We are big enough to have you. Yet. Oh yes, you are. Open invite at any time. What's oh no, the biggest story you broke. Uh, the next one. Oh, you're the best. Stand in that batter's box. Thank you so much for having me in your baseball team here. <laughs> Pat, I look forward to having you back on this podcast, and I look forward to being a guest on your podcast anytime you want, and I sincerely mean that. Uh, I appreciate that. I can't wait to chat with you again. I need you on my podcast. Uh, it's every Tuesday, Thursday, and I can't wait to chat with you on there. Wait, you, you have my number, right? I think so. I think yeah, so. I there think we I, go. I'll send you one at 3 a.m. I'll send you one at 3 a.m., a little nudie, a little sex, and we'll keep it moving. <laughs> Nothing better. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best. Thank you. Appreciate Jeff. it, Pat. Good luck with everything. Thanks for taking the time today, and we will talk again. You got it. See ya. We'll be back in a moment with Evan Kaplan, but first, let's talk about Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book awesome hotels at amazing rates. They're basically a matchmaker between top-rated hotels that have unsold rooms and people who want to book those rooms. And even though the name's Hotel Tonight, it isn't just for last-minute bookings. You can book for tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. Whether you're a planner or a procrastinator, you can use Hotel Tonight to lock down your vacation plans. So to start finding sweet deals at cool hotels you actually want to stay at, start using Hotel Tonight now. Cap Hit. Let's welcome in the NFL ESPN researcher, Evan Kaplan, for another session as we get ready for week five of the NFL season, Evan. And I think the big story going into this week is going to be on Monday Night Football. It's going to be the Saints and the Redskins in New Orleans. And it's going to be Drew Brees going for the NFL's all-time passing record, which is incredible when you really think about it. Give me some idea here, some perspective on what we're witnessing and how likely it is that we'll see Drew Brees throw for the 201 yards that he needs on Monday night. Well, you look at his time since joining the Saints back in 2006, and he started 98 games in the Superdome with New Orleans, and he's thrown for at least 201 yards in 90 of those games. 
So you put that in perspective, Monday night, everyone watching, and the, the history of Breeze in the Superdome tells us that we are likely to see Peyton Manning's NFL record, 71,940 yards. We're likely to see that record fall against the Redskins. And we also keep in mind that, that against the Giants on Sunday, Breeze obviously led the Saints to a win, but didn't throw any touchdowns. So as we talked about last week on the podcast, still four touchdown passes away from 500. So a couple things to keep in mind. Obviously the passing yards record is going to be the main thing, but keep in mind he's also, he's also coming up on 500. It's unbelievable that he's never won an NFL MVP award. Obviously played in the era of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, other great quarterbacks, but you look and, and Breeze will be at the top of most of these statistical categories, never won an NFL MVP. That is amazing. Yeah, it, it's, you step back, you think about it, okay, it makes sense because of who else he played with, but you look at his numbers and the production, it, it's hard to believe. Well, here's my question right now to that. Is he more valuable to that offense right now than Alvin Kamara or Michael Thomas? Who would be the That's, most valuable player on that Saints offense right now? I would say either Kamara or Breeze. I mean, I would say Kamara, Kamara right probably. now. I mean, right you, now. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that it won't change. Mark Ingram right. is back from his suspension right. this week and maybe it'll be diluted a little bit. But I also think with Monday night with Breeze again, I don't mean to make too much of this, but remember the Monday night game when they came back from Katrina? There was a oh, lot absolutely. of emotions. Was... And I think there's going to be a lot of emotions Monday night because of what yeah. Drew Breeze means to that city. Right. And all that he's done. For that franchise. So I think when he sets this record on Monday night, which I think he will, I think it's going to be met with an incredible amount of emotion down there in New Orleans. When you combine them coming back from Katrina and, and winning a Super Bowl with the Saints, I think there's few fan bases that resonate with a single quarterback as much as the Saints fans resonate with Drew Brees. I mean, they, they love their quarterback. Yeah, and with good reason. Absolutely. All right, we also have a different look for the Vikings and Eagles who met in the NFC Championship game last season. Evan, what stands out about the matchup between these two teams this season? Well, you look at the two teams, and there's a lot different from that game from when they met in January in the playoffs. You start with the Vikings. Defensively, they have not been the same team since that game. They allowed 38 points in that NFC Championship. If you look at their last five games, starting with that game and, and coming up, um, through through their last game against the Rams, they're allowing just over 29 points per game. That, that's not getting it done defensively. You look on the other side, the Eagles, they haven't scored 25 points in a game this season yeah. as they start 2-2, two and two, obviously easing Carson Wentz back into things. So it, it's interesting. We look at conference championship rematches and Super Bowl rematches in other years, especially early in the season, and the teams have a different look than, than when we saw them in that previous year. All right, the Cowboys got on track on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. And for the first time this season, Ezekiel Elliott looked like a real difference mm-hmm. maker. It, it didn't look that way the first three games of the year, but it seemed to be that way on Sunday against the Lions. What did that say to you about the Dallas Cowboys and their season going forward? It says, get Zeke the ball. Yeah. Career yes. high, career high, 240 yards from scrimmage. And look, there's some cases where the numbers just don't lie, and this is this is one of them. The, the Cowboys are 11 and 2, including the playoffs, when Zeke gets 29 touches in a game. 29's a lot. 20, sorry, 20, uh, more than 25. Okay, it's more, more, more than 25. He had 29 this past Sunday, but when he gets more than 25, it is a lot, but 13 times they've done it, they're 11 and 2 in those games. And, and the, the thing that really stood out to me about him against the Lions was him in the passing game. 
88 receiving yards, and Dak Prescott on the game-winning drive hit him down the right sideline on a play if they, if they don't connect, they might not win. That was the biggest thing that I noticed, that they were looking to get him the ball in the passing game. And they've said all summer long that they were planning to do that. But it looks so simple for Dak Prescott to throw a short little pass into the flat to Zeke to have him catch it and run with the football. And it's an effective way to get him beyond the line of scrimmage, into the secondary, into the linebackers, whatever it may be. And they were doing that Sunday with some effectiveness for the first time that I had seen in a little while. Right. I think what's going to be interesting going forward is, is to your point about the workload is if, can he hold up with getting all those touches over a three, four, five week period? But in the interim, as they're trying to get their offense on track still early in the season, I think getting him the ball is going to be the key for them winning games. Now, another team that played a really close game on Sunday was Tennessee. It eked out that victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. How do we put into perspective the Titans penchant for winning close games. They've won three in a row after losing that, that weird opener against the Dolphins with all the delays, and each win has come by exactly three points. And you look a little deeper, and they're getting it done when they need to get it done. So the Titans have scored 42 points in the fourth quarter and overtime this season. That's more than they've scored in their first three quarters combined. They've only scored 33 points in those quarters. And, and, Kind of an interesting parallel that I that I found that kind of something to keep an eye on. So Matt LaFleur, Titans offensive coordinator, spent last year with the Rams, Sean McVay and Jared Goff. We saw a game from Marcus Mariota on Sunday that we haven't seen from him in a few years. But let's see if as Mariota gets healthier, he can kind of take off with that offense. We'll see. Well, you know, it's interesting. You point out the 42 points in the fourth quarter and overtime this season. And I would say that they've put up those number of points with Marcus Mariota not being healthy because I still don't right. think he's fully functional right. with that hand injury being mm-hmm. what it is. And it hasn't been that way since the opener. But they, they did look good, and Corey Davis looked like he was explosive on Sunday. Absolutely. That, that's the major difference maker. Um, and, and if they can get a, a top-wide receiver to, to go with that, that running game in Lewis and Henry, the Titan, Titans have a chance to have a good season. Now, you brought up Sean McVay and Jared Goff in L.A., and what's going on there is incredible because anybody that watched them against the Vikings on Thursday Night Football saw what a show in a clinic. They look like they are just better than everybody else in the league right now. They, they look like they're operating an offense at a different level. Sean McVay looks like the smartest offensive coach in the entire league, and there are some very good ones with Kyle Shanahan and Josh McDaniels and Andy Reid and Mike McCarthy, but he looks like he's at a different level right now than all these other offensive coaches and coaches around the league. What does Jared Goff's start this season remind you of? It reminds me of Kurt Warner. I mean, and and the numbers are almost, not almost exactly, even they're even. So you look at Kurt Warner through four games, in 2001, with the greatest show on turf, kind of their last yep. real run at it, through 11 touchdown passes, completed 72.4% of his passes. Now, normally you wouldn't break it down that much with a completion percentage, but in this case we will because those are exactly Jared Goff's numbers. 11 touchdown passes, wow. completing 72.4% of passes. And it's not just that. You look at the offenses, you've got a multidimensional running back with Todd Gurley this year, kind of just like Marshall Falk was for that team. Similar, a back that can catch it out of the backfield and then you look at kind of a well-rounded wide receiver core obviously Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt with that team were probably better than anyone this year Hakeem was really good too Ricky Prohl one of the guys yeah excellent and and this group with with Cooks and Woods and Cup it's just the weapons and there's there isn't a team that's more fun to watch right now than the Rams no like I said they're operating a different level now the one thing I would say Mm -hmm. 
the fact that their numbers are as similar as they are is a little bit eerie. It is. But Goff is doing it in a day and age where the rules are designed to protect the passer, where the rules are designed for numbers to be built, where Mm -hmm. the numbers of offensive performances are greater. We had five, five (laughs) 400-yard passers this past weekend. There's been 12 already this season, which is what the NFL usually has over the course of the season, and we're a quarter of the way through. So. 400 has become the new 300 in the NFL. It has, and, and throwing five touchdown passes in a game isn't, isn't so rare anymore. We've had four of those already this season with at least five in a game. That's more than the previous two years combined. So that gives you an idea. So, yes, Goff is like Warner, and you want to draw the corollary there, but... Different errors for Different sure. errors Absolutely. for sure. Now, the last great quarterback we're going to talk about today is Aaron Rodgers, and he's got a divisional game this weekend. Uh, and in divisional games, like he has this weekend in Detroit, he has been lethal. Give me an idea of how good he's been against the NFC North. The last nine games in the division, he's thrown 23 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. Huh. I mean, you, you think about wow. his, his his effectiveness without being able to turn the ball over, and it's incredible. So Packers are 7-1-1 one, and one in those games, a tie against the Vikings earlier this year. But nine straight divisional starts without an interception, it's hard to believe, but he also did that earlier in his career, spanning the 2014 and 2015 seasons, and no other quarterback has even had an eight-game streak of that. So straight divisional starts without an interception in the last 15 years. So it's not not like he's throwing 10 touchdowns and no interception. It's 23 and zero in his last nine divisional games. Some moon balls up to the roof of the... Stadium in Detroit Absolutely. that have come down in the hands Absolutely. of Packers receivers. Yep. He's done a great job. Well, I mean, you did a great job here. There's some unbelievable numbers as we get ready for what should be a very exciting and compelling week five. Thank you for sharing your insights and information yet again. Thanks for having me, Adam. And so there is my friend and colleague, Evan Kaplan. Special thanks to Evan, as well as to the 2017 Defensive Player of the Year, Aaron Donald, who's getting ready for a matchup this Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks, and my podcast friend, Pat McAfee, who hosts the Pat McAfee Show 2.0, one of the top podcasts on the internet today. And please join us again next week when we're scheduled to be joined by the great sports broadcasting pioneers, Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer, the new broadcast team for the Amazon streaming series of Thursday Night Football. That's a wrap for this week, everybody. Enjoy week five, and please join us again next week on the latest Adam Schefter podcast.